0: Hello
1: and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 California Lawyers Association annual meeting in beautiful and also sunny Monterey, California, California. Joining me now, I have two amazing guests who I've just met, but they're a lot of fun. So far, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I have Adam Fiss joining me today and Ramit Mizrahi. Did I get your names correct? You did. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the show, and before we get started on today's topic, which is about your section and some of the things that you're up to, uh, where do you work, what do you do? Let's start with Ramit.
2: So, uh, Ramit Mizrahi, I am the founder of Mizrahi Law in Pasadena, where we focus on uh, exclusively representing employees who have been discriminated against, harassed, retaliated against, and wrongfully terminated.
0: Excellent, Adam. And I'm a partner at the law firm of Littler Mendelssohn, where we represent uh, management side, where we're representing companies and helping them avoid issues that require Ramit to have to bring a lawsuit. <laughs> excellent, excellent.
1: So uh, the first part of our interview today, we're gonna to be talking about some of the CLE programming that you're offering for members and other people that are here at the CLE annual meeting. And you had quite a lineup of them, but we're gonna focus on the California employment law legislative update, is that correct? Yep. Okay. So let's get right to it. So uh, AB5, that has been in the news. I've seen this all over the place. And of course, this is the one that has some impact on independent contractors
0: in California. So who wants to take the first bite at that? That would be me. So AB5, yes, it's AB5 is the next step in the wave after the Supreme Court, California Supreme Court's decision in Dynamax in 2018, which moved us from a multi-pronged test in determining whether somebody was an employee or an independent contractor to a 3 pronged test called the ABC test. Um, and under this, the three prongs, you need to show that the worker is free from control and direction of the employer and the work is performed outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business, and the worker engages in independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as they're doing for the hiring entity. Unlike in prior iterations, there are three ands there, so each one of those prongs has to be met, which makes it difficult moving forward to to do this. In Dynamex, the California Supreme Court was really only focused on the wage orders. And AB5 now takes this and expands that to unemployment insurance contexts, as well as the application of labor code violations. And what it does is it will make it much more difficult for employers to be able to classify somebody as an independent contractor than as a worker. Um, Over the last couple of months, we've seen a lot of lobbying and Sacramento insider occurrence is happening, and so AB5 went from its initial iteration into one where uh, the exceptions essentially swallow almost the rule as far as those entities that are able to, or individuals who are able to be deemed as independent contractors or workers, even when there's an exception created. So, for instance, professional services, lawyers, doctors, etc., fall within one of the exceptions in AB5, there still is a test that has to be met. It just brings us back in that case to the old test that was used, which is called the Borello test, based off of a 1989 court decision in California that kind of spreads out the factors and really looks at the right of control of the employer. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ramit and see what she thinks about AB5.
2: Right. So AB5 is a huge victory for employees in California. Uh, something like one in 10 uh, workers is classified as, as an independent contractor. And employees, unlike contractors, receive broad protections and benefits under California law. They get labor code protections, the right to minimum wage and overtime, meal and rest breaks, sick pay. They get unemployment and disability insurance, workers' comp insurance. They have anti discrimination law protections and leave law rights. So AB 5 pulls. <coughs> many, many more people, millions of people into the protection or under the protection of those laws. As Adam was saying, there are so many exceptions, which was largely the result of lobbying. So there's certain industries where they're just uh, explicitly excluded from dynamics and, and that... Prior test, the Borello test applies. There are other uh, jobs, occupations, industries where they have to meet certain criteria and fall within the listed uh, categories. So, this is one of those areas where you really have to read the law and see where your industry or occupation falls in. One thing to note is after the dynamics decision came out, there was a question as to whether it applied retroactively or only prospectively. An AB 5 decides that. It says that the law applies retroactively to labor code claims that are related to the wage orders, uh, prospectively going forward to other labor code claims, prospectively going forward to unemployment insurance claims, and the exemptions that we talked about apply retroactively. Something that's really important to note is AB5 explicitly says that employers cannot reclassify an employee as an independent contractor simply because the, that employee falls under one of the exemptions. And they also can't fire someone who's an employee to avoid having to um, pay them as an employee. We do expect that there'll be some legislative fixes and new, new additions to AB5 over the next year as uh, the realities of the law shake out.
1: What I've been reading about this, you know, Uber is often brought up and some of the scooter companies, a little charge of electric scooters, we have a lot of those in San Diego. And so I hear those companies have definitely got their radar up, uh, you know, looking at the regulations here. But what are some of the other types of business that are pretty typical that you're seeing come into your firms and, and ask for some help and trying to be in compliance going forward
0: with this, uh, with this new law? The reality is it's every business that's out there. The, the gig economy, as, as we refer to it, the Ubers, the Lyfts, DoorDash, et cetera, they definitely are feeling the pinch because they were not able to get any answers through the lobbying that occurred now. And if you've read in the newspaper, uh, there's a cohort or a group coalition that's been put together where they are going to make an effort to get something on the ballot. There's already $90 million that's been dedicated to to that effort. So I don't think we've heard the end of this from the gig economy standpoint. Uh, But this runs the gamut from large companies that bring in independent contractors to provide services to a, a restaurant who needs to have food delivered. Is the company that delivers the food an employee of the restaurant, or are they an independent contractor? Uh, you have to look at the test, but and there is a business-to-business exception, but it has very specific requirements that you're going to have to show. And there's a ton of carve-outs, as we were saying, um, barbers, manicurists, your dog walker housekeepers, all of those fall into different exceptions under the professional services. Some with a limited shelf life on how long that exception applies and some where you just have to meet the test and that is an ongoing exception. So just one quick follow up on that. So if
1: someone was uh, previously indicated as an independent contractor and going forward, cause I heard a little bit about, you can't get rid of a position because it falls into one of the exceptions. What about that? So going forward, so Uber's got all these drivers all over in every city. What happens to them when this goes into place? Are they allowed to cut back on their workforce, or how do they manage that?
2: As Adam said, Uber, the Ubers of the world are trying to lobby for a carve-out or to put, put some ballot measure out there. Realistically, I think if a company concludes that they need to cut back on workers, I think that that would be permitted. I think the issue is that you can't fire an employee so that you can hire someone else to fit, serve that role as an independent contractor.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you so much for that clarification. So I understand there's some other major employment laws that have uh, recently passed, and we should definitely get to those. So who wants to break that part off?
2: So I'll do that. Um, This was really a bumper year for employment laws. Uh, We could make this into a two-hour program, but we'll only highlight a few. Um, Adam and I conferred, and we think that SB142, AB9, and AB51 are important ones to flag. Um, So we'll describe those for you, Uh, and I'll start with SB142. So that law significantly expands lactation accommodations and protections for uh, for working mothers. Um, among other things, it clarifies employers' obligations to provide breaks to nursing and pumping mothers. They are entitled to take that time to express milk every time they have a need to do so. It requires employers to provide safe and sanitary lactation rooms for employees who are wishing to express milk. It increases penalties for noncompliance. It prohibits discrimination and retaliation against employees who exercise their rights under this law. And it requires that employers implement lactation accommodation policies. So this bill, SB 142, comes on the heels of last year's Assembly Bill 1976, which required that employers make reasonable efforts to provide a lactation room other than a bathroom. Under this law, SB 142, employers must provide such a room subject to a limited undue hardship exemption that applies only to employers with 50 or less employees. The next one is AB 9, and Adam, tell us about that.
0: So AB 9 is a bill that has found its way to the governor's desk now at least three times on um, the test past two iterations were vetoed by uh, governor newsom's predecessor in this round we did see it approved by governor newsom and the main takeaway that most folks are looking at is what it does is it changes from one year to three years the window of time for which somebody can bring a complaint to the department of fair employment and housing and this is really a takeoff from or a continuation of the Me Too movement where many individuals were realizing um, that they had actually encountered harassment and were concerned about bringing it forward and the impact on their employment status and when they were finally ready to do that the time period for which they could actually bring the complaints and have it recognized in California had lapsed. Uh, when Governor Brown vetoed the law he found that the, the results of doing a three-year window could create stale claims. Governor Newsom obviously differs in his opinion. The other important fact, and I think one that's not quite as recognized by folks, is that when individuals go into the Department of Fair Employment and Housing to start to initiate the complaint process, they fill out an intake form. Sometimes it takes the department a couple of weeks to actually issue a complaint. And for purposes of AB9, the date that the individual comes and completes the intake form will be deemed the operative date. So if somebody is close to that now three year window of time and they come in on day, on year 200, two years, 355th day, Um, And so the complaint isn't actually issued until sometime in the third year. The fact that they completed the intake form within the window of time will make it a timely complaint.
2: And the third bill we'll cover is AB 51, which deals with what we call forced arbitration. So, something uh, around two thirds of employees are bound by arbitration agreements, and what they don't realize when they sign them, often in a big thick packet of documents on their first day of work, is that they're doing more than just giving up their right to a jury trial. Right? In arbitration, employees are far less likely to win than they are in court, and when they do, they win less money. And, and even when people know this, they will sometimes sign that agreement because they need a job or they don't want to be fired from a job they've been holding for some period of time. So AB 51 tries to end this. It prohibits an employer from requiring an employee to waive any right forum or procedure with respect to the labor code or fair employment and housing act claims as a condition of employment, continued employment or receipt of an employment-related benefit. And it also prohibits employers from retaliating against an employee who refuses to consent to a waiver of any such rights.
0: One important thing to note is that this law doesn't go in a, into effect until January of 2020. So for employers that currently have individuals who are covered by arbitration agreements, those remain valid. It is only for arbitration agreements that are starting in January of 2020, which means employers, if you are thinking about doing arbitration agreements, you have about a month and a half to start implementing those or the, the window will have closed, at least as it relates to FEHA and labor code claims. Well, and using that as a
1: springboard, you know, obviously employers always want to try to stay in compliance with some of these new laws. So just in terms of upcoming
0: employment laws to keep an eye out for, what have you seen? Another one to keep your eye out for is uh, AB 749, which will deal with the ability of employers to include in severance agreements or settlement agreements, no rehire provisions. Um, This is a very common occurrence, I would say in my experience, it's probably 80% if not 90% of the agreements that my clients utilize. It contains language that would prohibit the individual from coming back and working for the company. And if they are able to sneak through the cracks, it gives the company the ability to fire them without there being any repercussions, that it's done for non-discriminatory or retaliatory purposes. With this law, it would change things and would prohibit, starting in January of 2020, employers from utilizing that type of provision in a severance agreement, with one exception, and that is where the individual has been deemed to have committed sexual harassment or sexual assault of other individuals. um, And the employer in that case would have to have made a good faith finding that that kind of conduct occurred.
2: And in addition to uh, SB 749, keep an eye out for AB 403. That will do two things with respect to whistleblower claims uh, and retaliation claims. It extends from six months to two years, the deadline to file a complaint with the labor commissioner. And it also provides for reasonable attorney's fees to a plaintiff who brings a successful labor code, section 1102.5 claim. So if signed into law, this will be really important because it will put whistleblowers uh, in the same uh, space as discrimination employees in that they can get attorney's fees if they win their cases.
1: So we're running short on time, but I do want to hit up the sections, upcoming programs and member benefits. And so just in terms of labor and employment law section, what, uh, what type of upcoming events do you have?
2: So we put on five major events a year. In April of every year, we put on a public sector conference, usually in Sacramento. Uh, In July, a wage and hour conference in Los Angeles, an annual meeting that is tethered to one of those two prior meetings in alternating years, new lawyers programming at the beginning of the year, probably in January of 2020. And we put on one additional live program, which will be an advanced mediation conference next month, November 14th in Los Angeles. We also do put on frequent webinars.
1: And
0: Adam, I understand you're a part of a community that does a lot of outreach? Our entire committee is gonna be redundant, is committed to outreach. So we have a variety of ways that we, we look to provide services to both workers and businesses throughout the California Ramit noted the webinars that we do, but we also do in-person trainings for small businesses and for workers to better understand their rights and responsibilities. Being in California, it's really difficult uh, to keep track of all of the laws, and even if you're a large company, to make sure you're complying with everything. So the outreach there helps to educate and, and protect both sides, employers from being sued, and workers to make sure that they understand their rights and that they can speak for themselves if that that pops up. We also provide grants to nonprofits or to other groups that are tied to employment and labor related issues um, to either provide services again for workers or for businesses within the context of labor and employment
1: issues. Your sections are pretty large sections in terms of even the CLA and uh, what about 8,000 members you have right now? That's right. Okay. So you provide some publications to keep your your members updated. I understand there's two of them.
2: So we have a labor and employment law review that goes out to our section members every other month. Um, In addition, we provide case updates to section members as they come out. We also have two books, the California Public Sector Employment Law Book and California Public Sector Labor Relations.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode today, but I want to thank our guests for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ramit. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And if our listeners, they want to follow up, maybe learn a little bit more about your section or about the type of law that you practice, how can they find you?
2: I can be found at misrahi-law.com, and I also blog there. I plan to put up a post uh, come tomorrow evening once we know what the governor has signed and, and what and became law.
0: So listeners, you must tune in. And information about Littler Mendelssohn can be found at Littler.com, and we likewise will have an update when those laws come out. So if you want to look at both the worker's perspective and the employer's perspective, you have the competing views in both locations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys
1: again for, and ladies for joining us here today. And also thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.